Yes. Uh, this morning when I was looking over this scripture, it just reminded me of uh, myself and a whole bunch of other people. You see the miracles that the Lord has done for you so many times over and over again, but yet in your times of tribulation or when God is bringing you out of your comfort zone, you still feel the nerve to feel unfaith, I guess. You complain and all this other stuff. And so you'll see this a lot in this passage. The people that have seen so many miracles that God has done to get them out of Egypt, they still have the mouth to fix themselves to complain. So let's go ahead and read chapter 16, verses 1 through 18, Exodus. The whole Israelite community set out of Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to, and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he, was, he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you, would, that you should grumble against us? Moses said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them a twilight's you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know what I, that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quill came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, then flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take and more for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by their amour, the one who gathered much did not even did not have enough, uh, did not have too much, and the one who 
gathered little, did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your heart, your word to us. May our truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. All right. Well, thank you, Paul. Uh, I was talking with Paul last night, actually. Uh, I'm just going to give you a heads up that the service today and the sermon is going to have what's going to feel like a commercial, but it will be connected, I promise. So bear with me and prepare and be ready. So let me just share with you, I was talking with Paul uh, last night, and uh, I hope you feel the same as Paul did, because I was talking with Paul, he's like, so we're doing Moses again tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, we're doing Moses again tomorrow. And he was like, okay, cool. This is good. I'm glad. I'm just getting into it. I'm really getting rolling. So I hope that you guys are starting to feel uh, a little bit more connected to Moses, a little bit more uh, of the understanding of who he was the man and the myth, you know, the thing that we've always thought about him and then also who he truly was as a man of God. And so as we kind of go back where we have been, let's talk about it very quickly. The first four lessons that we shared, the origin story of a nation, the Jewish boy who became the prince of Egypt, that's Moses. Uh, and even that was the title of a, uh, of a DreamWorks film that they, was, uh, that they had put out uh, and was out whenever my kids were young. Then we talked about God's will, my way, how Moses tried to take on that role before God was ready for him to do that. But then he had a second chance at the burning bush, and that was part number four. And then last week, we, uh, last couple of weeks, excuse me, we talked from these on our next slide. Um, part five, plagues that preach, that's God's will, his own way. And then the Passover and the Exodus begin. And then last week, we talked about the Red Sea and the final and the uh, the finish of the Exodus part two. Today, we're going to talk about heaven's provision versus earth's appetites. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how God provided in a miraculous way and how that was received by the children of Israel. I don't know if you guys were listening closely to what Paul was reading. I hope you were listening and heard, but it was a very unusual thing. And how, how many of you guys have ever really stopped to think about, oftentimes when we read a scripture, we already know what's coming, so we just kind of, oh, well, this is where that manna and quail thing happens, and we just kind of almost think about it in a way that discounts the power of it. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? I mean, think about this for a second, and I shared with you last week, this is so important and so vital for us to remember and understand. Let's just think about what happened. The Red Sea parted, and these guys, uh, along with their entire families, they left. And this is the, the modern world that we see, the Red Sea, and then the two kind of fingers of the, uh, of the Red Sea that go up. And you can see the different gulfs that we know. We've heard of the, the Suez Canal and all of the modern world. It's a real-life place and a real-life situation that happened. Well, what's interesting as we go further and go a little deeper we don't really think about, they left, you know, the, the Egyptian bondage, which they were trying to get away from, and they went out into the desert, and as this passage of scripture opens, and as Paul was reading, you see that they begin to wander around in the desert a little bit, that God was leading them, but he was leading them around in different directions, not just simply straight towards the promised land. He had some things that were going on and things that were happening in the children of Israel and in their hearts. And so we want to talk a little bit about that. But think for just a moment, when you leave Egypt, you don't leave with a whole bunch of provisions. 
You don't leave with backpacks full of food. But you've got about a million people, maybe up to two million people that are suddenly wandering in a desert and they don't have food and water. And how many of you guys know that's about to get serious real fast, right? How many of you guys have ever been in a desert place? I mean, a real live desert place. It's sparse. I mean, it is so surprising how few animals are moving around, how little that you see in the way of trees and vegetation. Even if you were so inclined to eat grass, which I am not, that's why I don't eat lettuce or salads, all right? I mean, that, <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, some of y'all, hello, is this thing on? I mean, none of y'all, kale is not a vegetable, it's just overgrown grass. Can I get an amen from anybody else in the house? All right, one or two of y'all. But here's what I would say as I look at this, and as I'm out there in the desert, I'm thinking to myself, even if I were inclined to eat the things that are sprouting up out of the ground, there's just nothing there. It's nothing but dirt and sand and scrub brush and cactus that, you know, want to hurt me if I go in and try to eat that, right? And so ultimately, these children of Israel were wandering around. They have no idea how the story ends. We've read the story, so we know, oh, this is where God provides miraculously with manna and quail, right? But they have no idea. What we're about to read, kind of go through what we've just read, um, what we're about to look a little deeper on is something that we need to be thinking about because it's very easy for us to judge. But how many of you have ever been in a place where you look around in your circumstance and not only can you not see that something's already happened, but you see no way in the world it's going to happen. How many of you have ever been there before? Have you all ever had that experience? Not only do I not see it happening or see any signs, but I see no way that God is going to work in this situation. It just doesn't make any human sense. We're about to see that God provides in miraculous ways, but we're also going to have the opportunity to see the children of Israel probably facing things the way that we would and having a hard time knowing that God is providing. I'm going to get on their case a little bit, but I'm also going to be kind of standing in solidarity with them because a lot of the things that they face are things that we face. A lot of the tests and trials that they kind of experience and don't necessarily pass with flying colors are some of the same things that we can understand. So real quickly, as you look here, this is just a, a thing that I saw on the internet. It's the path of the Moses, uh, path of Moses and the Hebrews and the Israelites as they cross over there in that, uh, the, the gulf there on the right-hand side, on the eastern side of the Red Sea. And this is what we know. As we look at something to learn, I want to talk a little bit about this. Pharaoh's pattern was to say, okay, I give in, go worship God in the wilderness until the plagues were withdrawn, and then he would pursue Israel to go out and grab them. As he pursued them across the Red Sea, it was just one more time in his pattern to promise permission and freedom, only to go back on that promise later. You saw that in every single plague. He would say, pray for me so that the Lord would take away this plague. Moses would do that, the Lord would take away the plague, and then he'd say, no, no, I changed my mind. You guys know that, right? Y'all remember that whole pattern that you saw. Now, here's what I want to share with you. Pharaoh had a pattern. The Israelites also had a pattern, and we're going to see it on full display today. Here's what it was. It's blessings that come, and then a drifting away, going through a trial and a tribulation, 
And then finally coming to the end of yourself and repenting and returning to God where he restores the blessings. And then it begins again with the drifting away, trials and tribulations that make them think, i got to rethink where I'm going here, and then a repentance and a return. Now, this is the pattern of the Israelites that you're going to see every time that you look, not just in today's scripture, but you're also going to see it as you move forward all the way through where you see the Israelites spoken of in scripture. This is exactly what happens over and over again. And it's funny, isn't it, how easy it is to spot Pharaoh's pattern and spot the Israelites' pattern and not realize this is your pattern too, isn't it? You know how I know it's your pattern? Because I can see it in you. And y'all know how you know it's my pattern? Because you can see it in me. We see it in other people, but we excuse it in ourselves. But this is our pattern too. Just as sure as we see the pattern of Pharaoh and see the pattern of the Israelites, we see ourselves standing right there and saying, yeah, that's true. It's like I get a blessing and I'm really grateful in that moment. But then I begin to kind of almost get bored with my blessings. And then I kind of start drifting from the, from the giver of the gift. Getting too wrapped up in the gift instead of the giver of the gift. Can I get an amen on that? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Have you ever gotten wrapped up in the gift instead of the giver of the gift? It's easy to do. But then you go through some trials and tribulations and you're like, oh yeah, this is a reminder that I need to be putting God first. And so we repent and return and then the blessings seem to be restored and everything starts back again and we're back on the same pattern. It's the way that things are. But it's very interesting, and I want to just share a few lessons that we learn here and some things that hopefully we can take away. And I will just tell you, just flat out, not talking about spiritual things at all, but if you talk about different people who are psychologists, they will tell you that growth is a, an extending of the pattern. It's so common that it's not just a spiritual thing, that this is how it is in people who are having difficulties with overcoming addiction or whatever it might be. And you can look at it and replace that blessings with, you know, a giving in to the addiction or something, or a, a winning over the addiction and stopping the addiction. And then you begin to drift and then you deal with trials and tribulations, you give in, and then you come to the bottom and then you start the pattern all over again. Psychologists will tell you that the longer that you can stretch out giving in to the wrong pattern, the more you are seeing growth in your life. You guys understand what I'm saying? So this is the pattern that we see, and this is the pattern that we struggle with ourselves. Let's keep moving here, and let's remember who we're dealing with. Do you remember when Exodus 11 comes along and he says, hey, tell the people and the women and men to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. And the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded and Pharaoh's officials and by all of the people. Do you remember what happened? They asked their neighbors. They said, we're leaving. Could you give us some silver and gold to take along with us? And they said, Sure. You can do that. That's fine. They reached in their pockets, gave them jewelry, not because they were just great people, but because God was with them. He had prepared the way for them to ask for that and to be the recipient of those blessings. And so that's what God had done for them. Now, let's be clear. I shared it with you guys last week as we're crossing the Red Sea and we're talking about that. I said, we've got a tangible reminder right here in my pocket. I can put my hand down here and say, hey, 
here's a piece of gold or an article of silver that I didn't have, but all I had to do was ask because that's what God told me to do. I did it his way, and here is the tangible reminder. I can feel it in my hand. It's not spiritual, it's physical. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So they had the physical reminders of God's provision. But y'all listen to what Paul read just a moment ago. They had the physical reminders on their persons of God's provision for them. But they started grumbling and complaining. And they said, hey Moses, was it because we were eating too healthy and doing too well in Egypt that you had to pull us out here in the middle of the desert and let us starve and go without food? I mean, they were forgetting that God was setting them free. And so here we see it doesn't take very long. Now, let's go to our next slide. And I, I call this the after the afterglow. In other words, man, we just crossed the Red Sea. This is incredible. This is amazing. And then a, a day goes by and it's like, whew, that was great yesterday. Two days go by, whew, really good. A couple days ago, third day. Yeah, I remember it. It's good. Four days go by, five days, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff. You know, one of the most amazing things ever to happen, and you kind of start getting used to sitting with it, and it becomes kind of mundane. On the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. We sat around pots of meat, ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Let's keep, you know, keep moving here. Let's go to our next slide. This is what we do. This is what we do. How many of you guys know who this guy is right here? Uh, okay, on the count of three, I want you guys to tell me who he is. Ready? One, two, three. Mike Tyson. Yes, the, the actual boxer, not the pot-smoking podcaster. Different guy. Well, same guy, but different time of life. But yes, this is Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson had a great quote. Maybe you heard it. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. He said, everybody's got a plan to face me. He said, everybody thinks they got me figured out. Everybody's got a plan to face me till I hit them in the face. And then everything changes. Now, some of y'all are laughing at me. Some of y'all are going, I don't understand what you're doing here. Think about it. Everybody's got a plan. I'm going to rely on God. I'm going to rely on God. I'm going to give it all to God. And the next time something big comes up, I'm going to give it to God because he came through last time just like he always does, and then we get out into the desert, and we don't know where the next meal's coming from, and we miss the last meal, and the food that we're not eating starts to be a memory that we just can't shake, and everybody's got a plan till life hits them in the face, and then they don't know what to do. Now, y'all see where I'm going? How many of y'all have had that experience before, right? I mean, everything's fine, until that, that, that letter with the red stamp on it comes. Y'all ever got one of those? Final notice. You know, you're like, uh-oh. Now it's really serious. I got a red letter, right? Now what? Now what am I going to do? Not where is God? How is he going to show up? How is he going to work in this situation? What am I going to do? Everybody's got a plan until life hits them in the face. This is exactly what happens for the Israelites as they're wandering in this desert. No food to be found. They don't look up. They look around and they don't like what they see. And so suddenly they start grumbling and complaining. This is 
all of our pattern. Okay, so let's keep moving here very quickly. Let's go to our next slide. There's a story in this passage uh, that I read through in this chapter from the Chuck Swindoll book that I've been kind of sharing lessons and stuff from. He told an incredible story. He said, I was in Florida. And he said, as I was there in Florida in a conference, there was a college student who had a question and answer time with me. He raised his hand and he asked the craziest question I think I've ever gotten in a question and answer time. He raised his hand and said, Chuck, I hear that you live in California. He, he now lives in God's country here in Texas, but before he used to live in the other country, what, you know, the, the, far, you know, the far out west coast, right? So the, out there in California, he said, Chuck, I got to ask this question. I've always wondered about California. I've heard all about it, and it seems like everything's awesome out in California. Is it really as good as everybody tells me it is? Because here in Florida, we've got problems, but nobody out there has any problems. I've never heard anybody who lives in California that's got a problem. Chuck Swindoll said, this kid was in college, and he was dead serious with his question. He's like, yeah, we got problems in California too. You move out, and I promise some of the same problems that you've got in Florida, you will have in California. Now, we don't want to move to California. I mean, we're already here in God's country, but have you guys ever had that destination disease set in in your life? Man, when I just get to here, then everything's going to be fine and I won't have any problems. You don't really necessarily say it out loud, but you think it. Man, if I could just make this much money, then I'd never have to worry about that again. Is it, is it just me? Is it just me? No, it's not just me. It's all of us. If I could just get this one thing taken care of with my kid, then everything would be great in my life. Or if I could just have this one situation get resolved. Or if I just lived in a better house, or if I just had a better relationship, or if I just made a little bit more money, or if I could just get this one thing taken care of, everything would be fine, and I wouldn't have to face any more problems. Now, have you all ever thought that before? Okay, let's, uh, true confession is good for the soul. We've all thought it. And how many times has that ever actually proved to be true? Zero. None. Never. Because they got problems in Florida. And probably the same problems that that kid had in Florida would have followed him out to California because most of the time the problem is not out there. It is where? It's in here. And so let's not forget that the problem that God pulled them out of, the Egyptian bondage, it pulled their bodies out of slavery, but it did not pull their minds out of slavery. They were still enslaved in their mind because they still wished that they had those things that they had back then, not remembering that they were beaten and cruelty was everywhere. They were literally being told to sacrifice their children in order for them to stay alive. I mean, how in the world could you ever say, let's go back to that unless your eyes have been blinded to the reality of what's going on? Now, again, I ask, how many of you at one time or another in your life have been blinded to your reality. I mean, we've all been there. And we've got to be very, very careful and cautious that we don't let the idea of this set in. If I could just move to the right state, then everything gets better because it never happens like that. Let's keep moving. All right, don't miss this. Real spiritual maturity and godly character is built not in the miraculous moments, 
but in the mundane Mondays of our lives. Do you guys know that? Think about this for just a second. And I want to just be clear what I honestly think. What I honestly think is, is that these miraculous moments are the inspiration. They're the fuel that keeps us going. But they are not the place where we actually learn. If we remember and recall them and take those lessons with us, we do begin to learn. But I think the real learning comes on a Monday when we get up and say, okay, so how does that miraculous event affect my day-to-day? Not, not, my, not my day-to-day, today-to-day, but my day-to-day, this Monday, this Tuesday, this single morning. How does that miraculous event change the way that I view today? Now, how many of you guys have ever had this experience where you're at a church service and you're together and you're, oh, this is great. I can feel the Lord's presence. I'm moving in that direction that he's moving me in. And then Monday happens and you're you're, you're still holding on to it. It's not quite as loud in your ears, but you can still hear that that echo of the heaven, you know, and, and you can hear it. It's exciting. You're singing a praise chorus. And then you go in and open the email and you're like, oh, and every bit of it just drains out and drains away, right? We've been there because life happens. But here is what changes us in dramatic ways. If we can take the miraculous moment and pull it into our mundane Monday and say, you know what? God is on the throne. I don't see his fingers working. It just feels like it's a normal everyday day. It feels like this is the last time, you know, or just the time just like the last time. It's always the same and always the same and always the same. But then we realize that God works miraculously even in the things that seem mundane. And amazingly, this is where real growth takes place. Now, I don't know if you heard what Paul read just a few moments ago, but he actually said I am going to test them to see if they will follow the things that I've asked them to do. Now, again, I want to just slow down because this just doesn't really compute. God just opened up the Red Sea and I walked across and every enemy that I've ever had in my life got drowned in that sea. And now God says, and now what I want you to do is to go out and collect some bread off the, the desert floor, but don't get too much. I'd be like, of course, God, you're that guy. I will do what you say, whatever you say. But that's not how it worked, is it? That's not how it worked. Well, but I got a better idea. Instead of just getting exactly what I need for today, I'll get some more. I'll get a little bit extra. And then that way, just in case something else happens, then I'll be ready. But that's not what God said. He said, I'm going to test you to see if you will obey and follow my word. Now, again, I say to you and to me, he will do miraculous things in your life. He will show up in amazing ways. But that will not be the thing that grows you deep. It instead is going to be the day-to-day living that you and I choose as we pull in the miraculous and say, I follow God because I'm inspired and amazed, but I also follow God because obedience to the one who made me is my path to happiness, joy, character, and purpose. That's where I find it, and that's how I get there. And it won't always be fun, and it won't be something that we want to Snapchat or or, or Instagram, you know, because it's just going to be one other day, just one more day. 
nothing to say, just one more day. And yet, we're growing deeper. We're grasping more about God. We're understanding Him more. And this is so important that we grasp it and understand it. So don't miss it. All right, so can I get an amen? You guys with me so far? I, I need to go back and do it again, or can I get a little bit better amen than that to let you know, right? Amen? All right, okay. So here's the commercial. It's going to feel like a commercial. This is where I was last night. Isn't that cool? Peter and uh, Patrizia. Now, if, if you're impressed with the way that I just said Patrizia, I promise you I practiced it a lot. I probably said Patrizia 45 times as I was driving towards the thing, uh, towards the venue, and I just kept looking at Shelly like, are you tired of me yet? And she's like, keep going, babe. You're, you're good. Just keep going. <laughs> keep saying it. Patrizia. This is Peter and Patrizia. And, and look at this. this uh, don't they look awesome? What a beautiful couple. I'm excited for them as they start their new life together. It's such a blessing. And this is my, 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 my little shutter bug. Uh, Shelly over here took this picture. Doesn't that look like, like something that you would see in a movie or in a... Uh, just awesome. I mean, wow, look at that. It just looks like nobody's there. Just those two. But that's not actually true. There's about 150... Uh, 200 people there. It was a great time, tons of fun, and uh, I think I got the knot tied just right, so I think we're in good shape. But here's what is awesome. These two are there in accordance with God's plan, and I'm, I get opportunities to marry people all the time, and I'm very excited and very, um, I feel very, very powerfully that this is God's plan for these two. I don't always feel that way, um, but in this situation, I believe that God has truly brought them together in an amazing way. But can I just ask you guys a question? How many of you guys know that yesterday is different than every other day that they're going to have for the rest of their life? I, I heard a friend of mine say to, to me and to others, he said, hi, my name, uh, my name is Rick. I'm the father of the bride. Welcome to the most expensive day of my life, right? I mean, this is so true. It's like the most expensive day, the most elaborate day, probably one of the most romantic days. People are going to say love about 450 times in that single day, and it's going to be all about love. It's awesome. It's fantastic. And then, if you're lucky, you get to go on a honeymoon. Now, and then after the honeymoon, you come back, and it feels like all I see in front of me is just a long stretch of days that look all the same. A long stretch of living. And it's not that it's boring and dull and blah or anything like that. I mean, I've been married over 31, coming up on 32 years uh, to the same woman. That woman is a saint. Uh, I'm still in love with my first wife, so that's the way it is for me. Shelly's my first wife, just letting you know, it's a little joke. Um, so here's what I would say. I feel great about these two staying together. But if yesterday was the thing that they expect for the rest of their life, it's not going to work. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? That's why these reality TV shows where people get married and then like three months later they're like, yes, unfortunately, The Bachelor and Bachelorette did not stay together in a shocking development. They found life to be too different than what they were experiencing on the set of a reality TV show. Y'all know that reality TV is like an oxymoron. There's no way that reality and reality TV meet. So 
I just real quickly, I want to show you guys a couple of pictures. Um, I th- thought y'all might enjoy this. Check it out. Hey, there's me uh, with Pastor Josh Feldposh, who was a part of our church and uh, a full-time minister for, with us here for about three or four years. And uh, he still likes me, or at least stood close enough to me, so that's a great thing. Uh, Josh and his family were there, and it was an awesome blessing. And yes, that's me in a suit. <laughs> Take a picture. It ain't going to happen very often. Let's go to our next slide. I, th- I thought there was just too much pretty in this one area that I couldn't take a picture. So that's uh, my lovely bride in the middle. That's Miss Lindsay Feldposh over here. And then we've got Holly and Joku there. Yay, Holly, there you are right there. Turned out good. All right, let's go to our next slide here. And this comes back to what we see. And we are just reminded that you don't choose to stay together and stay on that same path by how many wonderful people you knew or how many wonderful people were there or how much money you spent or anything like that. It's a daily decision to love and honor and cherish. And so for us, bringing it back to what we see and grasp, this is the miracle of the moment. The miracle of the moment as the Red Sea parts, but then the mundane life of going out and gathering food that will not be there after late morning and you'll be waiting and going I'm hungry is it going to show up again and then the quail coming down and being fed and then them going away and then the next morning just enough for today and then later quail again and it just the cycle over and over and a daily trusting in God and I can't figure out why But God wants us constantly to be giving ourselves to him. Let's go to our next slide very quickly. The conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. Here's what he's saying. You and I are saved from our sins in a moment and in an instant. But that does not mean that's where our Christian character ends. Now, we've all known people that have given their heart to the Lord, but it never really actually made a difference in the way that they lived or acted, right? We've all known people like that. Shoot, I'm not going to lie. I was a person like that when I was growing up and when I was younger. That's who I was. I knew my heart wanted to be with the Lord, but I couldn't say no to the things that were pulling me in the wrong direction. And so that pattern thing that we talked about, I was doing that constantly. And so I just want to share with you part of the reason that we here in our church and part of the reason that Christian, you know, churches and various things that we're doing, we're constantly pulling you and saying, please be involved in this and hey, get involved in this and hey, do these things and hey, serve in this way and hey, share your faith and hey, Give to this cause. The reason that that is constantly going on is because for most of us, we stay in the spot that we began in because we're not moving and bodies in motion tend to stay in motion. Bodies at rest tend to stay at. It's true in the Christian world, isn't it? It's true in your life and it's true in my life. I don't know about y'all. But during the pandemic, it was one of the most sedentary times in my entire life. Like, I know there were people that got out there and got ripped. I was not one of them. 
All those people that were losing pounds, I was picking them up and finding them for them. I was like, man, I'll keep that. I'll hold on to that. And nobody else? Nobody else? Just me? Why? Because I just got out of the habits of moving and doing and serving and loving and connecting and doing the things that were going to bring me joy and peace and characterize my life as Christ-like. But we got out of that habit and that, that pattern because we had to stay socially distant. And, and I'm not here to preach about the pandemic. That's not what I'm here to do. But you guys know, don't you, that we're just now starting to get momentum back. It's just now starting to feel a little bit more normal than it used to. Why? Because for most of us, we've been sitting in, 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 in park for two plus years. You guys know what I'm saying? And so what we're talking about is we're constantly pulling you to do and to serve and to bless because you and I, we tend to stay in the spot that we are in and then complain that life just feels like the same old, same old, every ordinary day followed by another ordinary day. <laughs> it's not what God intended for us to live. He intended for us to live in a very different way. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Colin, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump over to the big idea. Let's talk about the big idea. Here it is. Those who refuse to learn from the past are destined to repeat it. And that's a quote. It's not perfect, but you know. You might have heard this before. But those who refuse to learn from the past are destined to repeat it. How many of you guys have ever heard this before? Have you? All right, so let's say it together real quickly on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Those who refuse to learn from the past are destined to repeat it. In other words, if you're a person who, sin, who tends to be on that same cycle and that same pattern and same treadmill over and over and over again, it's probably because you haven't learned the lesson that God is trying to convey to you on that path and to be beyond it and go in a different direction. All right, very quickly, we go back to that pattern of Israel just long enough to put it up and be reminded of exactly what it is. And we talked about this big idea last week, and I want to go to our next slide. Last week, we talked about we rely on God in all your ways, and we remember Him all of our days. The reason that it's so important for us to remember, there are a handful of them, and I want to talk about those. So let's go to our next slide about this. We see here um, the importance of remembering. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread that I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. And then jump down one extra verse to verse 34. And as the Lord commanded Moses, go back if you don't mind, there we go. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that they might be preserved. Now, stop for a second. How many of you know what the tablets of the covenant law were? Y'all know what that is? What is that? The Ten Commandments. So God said, put the Ten Commandments in a spot where people will be able to see them and know that I was speaking to you. Y'all heard that. How many of you knew that next to the Ten Commandments there was a jar full of manna? How many of you knew that? One of you. <laughs> Gold star later, let me know, just... Catch me later. I'll give you a gold star button, right? Why? Why did they want to remember that God provided? 
We think so many times that a, a, a Christian life is all about the here's the do's and the don'ts. But it is also about the relationship where we rely on God to meet our every need. And this is where it becomes a living faith and not just simply a do's and don'ts list. This is so important we would always say, it's so vital. The time capsule's got to have the, 12, uh, the Ten Commandments. But we would never say, but next to those are the jar of manna. But God said, don't forget that I provide. As you honor me, I continue to provide for you. It's a powerful lesson. Let's go to our next slide. Chuck Swindoll said, our earthly wilderness experiences are designed to develop us into men and women of faith. Let's face it, our spiritual roots grow deep only when the winds around us are strong. Take away the tests and we become spiritual wimps. But bring on the wilderness winds and it's remarkable how strong we can become. How many of you have ever had that experience where you had nothing left but God? But he was enough. And he was the one who grew you deep in those times that you thought you would not get through because you had to rely on him. You had nowhere else to turn. So what is going on? He's developing something in you that cannot be developed on easy street but can only be found out there in the wilderness. And when God shows up and you got nothing to eat and he says, here, here's some manna for you. You're like, what is it? What is it? I don't even know how you're doing this. What is this thing you're giving me? And it sustains you. And then the quail show up that night. And then the next day, again, manna, quail, manna, quail, manna, quail. And it goes on and on like this, not just for a handful of days. God's initial intention was to get them into the promised land. But they did not follow God's instructions and instead, they stayed in this wilderness path for 40 years. Guess how long they ate manna and quail? Guess how often God showed up? Every single day for 40 years, manna in the morning, quail at night. Incredible. Dull, but incredible. You know? I mean, I know that's not very inspiring. Not very inspiring to say that sometimes God's provision is just daily, daily, daily trusting. I'd love to give you a pep talk and say that every time that you ever feel a little low, that God is going to give you that shot and you'll be through the things and you'll just power through and you'll level up and all of these little catchphrases. I wish I could tell you that, but sometimes it's just, I'm going to do what I know to do today, not because somebody's watching, but just because I know that God is doing something in me, even in the midst of a mundane Monday. I'm going to show up and I'm going to be faithful. And then you look and you've got this long string of being faithful to God and you're different because you've been faithful. If you guys understand what I'm saying, can I just get you to raise your hand? You know what I'm talking about here? You know what I'm saying here? Okay, so don't despise that. Don't walk away from that. It is so important. All right. All right. Very quickly, the importance of remembering. Let's go to our next slide here. Um, the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumblings of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you'll eat meat. In the morning you will be filled with bread. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came, covered the camp. Enough for over a million to a million and a half 
people to have enough food to sustain them. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp, and let's go on. When the dew was gone, there were thin flakes like frost on the ground that appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is that? What is it? And they didn't know what it was. And Moses said, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And in the little scripture there, it kind of has a little asterisk. And basically it tells us that don't speak Hebrew. They literally called it manna. And it sounds just like the Hebrew for what is it? <laughs> they called it, what is that? And it's their remembrance of, we didn't even know what it was supposed to be when it showed up, but it provided for us in the way that God met our need. Let's go to our next slide as we kind of continue here. There's four ways to disobey. And I want to just share with you, as Paul read just a moment ago, the Bible tells us that he says, well, you're not grumbling against Moses, you're grumbling against me. The God who brought you to this place and brought you through these things that you've already seen. I told you, don't take any and keep it overnight. But there were people that did. And then those, he said, don't get more than you need for one day. And there were people that loaded up on it, and it was rotten by the end of the day. And then he said, gather twice as much on Friday because Saturday is the Sabbath, and you'll, the stuff that's been going bad on one day's time will be ready for you to eat on the Sabbath. So get twice as much on that day. And it'll be fine. But on all the other days, just one time, one day at a time. And then he said, none is coming on the Sabbath. And so he said, that's the day that you don't do any work. You don't go out and collect the stuff off the ground that I'm providing for you. You get double on that Friday. And then on Saturday, that Sabbath, you, don't, you won't find anything there to provide for you. And every single one of these things that were opportunities for them to disobey, guess what? They took every chance they got. <laughs> There were people that went out there, looked for food on the Sabbath, and there was none. There were people that got extra and kept it overnight. It got rotten overnight. There were people that got more than they needed. That got rotten and went to, went to spoil. It goes on and on and on. And there were ways to disobey, and they took every chance they got to do so. And do you remember what God said? I'm going to put these people to the test and to see if they will trust me. And unfortunately, they failed every time. So now, let's talk about us. Let's talk about us for a minute, where we love to have a lot. And it's hard to trust God for the every single day. But I don't know about you, if you've never really noticed it, I want to point it out to you. Let's go to our next slide. And as you see here, God's intention was to feed the Israelites that manna and quail until they entered their disobedient this obedience changed everything. But this is important to know. God has promised to meet all of our needs, but not all of our greeds. Right? He's promised that he will meet our needs, but not all our greeds. That means if I need a car, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be driving the top of the line. It just means I'm going to get from point A to point B. And it may be a used car that I'm not super proud of, but it will meet my needs, not necessarily my greeds. You guys understand? And so for us, we see this in the Israelites. They're ready to stockpile and have all that they can have. God said, no, no, that's not going to work. What you're going to do is each and every day, you're going to have to trust me. Because there's nothing else that you can do. Let's go to our next slide. And as we see here, maybe you've heard this passage of Scripture before. 
Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new. How? When? Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's faithfulness is great. And he could overwhelm those people and say, I gave you food today. You're never going to have to replenish it. You're never going to have to worry about it going bad. But that's not what he said. He said, every day you're going to show up. You're going to go out there. And you're going to know that I provided once again for you today. Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I worked with somebody um, that you guys know if you've been around here for a while. His name is Philip Bender, and he had such an incredible viewpoint. He served people that were in their last days. And what most people wanted to do was have him tell them that their loved ones were getting better. They'd come along and they'd say, Mom had a good day today. It looks like she's getting better. And Philip, in his wisdom, would always say, She had a good day. And then the next day, when she was not doing well, I guess Mom is just kind of on her last leg. And Philip's saying, No, no, she had a bad day. See, the problem for most of us is, is that we got to load tomorrow's weight on today's legs and they, they fail. Have you ever noticed that? Like you don't really worry about getting through the day most of the time. You worry about all the extra days, all the rest of the 364 of the next year. For most of us, if we would learn to relax and say, you know what? God is in control. It doesn't mean I don't plan, but it does mean that I don't worry. And there is a big difference. And when he says to them each and every day that you need something, I'm going to be there to provide it. And each and every day that he provides it, they give glory to God and they say, and tomorrow I'll be back because I'm going to need it again. But I know that you're going to be faithful again. Now, for some of you, this is where it gets really personal. You may have given up on situations, and I don't know what they may be. Maybe they're physical or spiritual or relational or financial. I could go on and on on the list on what they might be. But here's what I know. God will be faithful, and God will get you through day by day by day. And then he may show up in a miraculous moment, but he may not. But he will get you through day by day by day and his faithfulness will not stop the problem for most of us is not that God's faithfulness stops it's that our faithfulness stops not because he wasn't faithful but because he wasn't faithful in the hurry that we got in do y'all know what I'm saying and so for us we need to slow down and realize that God is always faithful and he is always providing all right very quickly Reasons to remember, and I'm closing this down. Let me just share with you the reasons to remember. It's the inspiration of God's miracles. When God shows up in powerful ways, it inspires us. That's the fuel that keeps us going. It's the thing that keeps us running in between. 
But then secondly, you learn to avoid the common mistakes. You get off that treadmill because you remember those who, are, <laughs> those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. If you can learn from the history, you won't keep going in that same circle over and over. And then thirdly, you can teach the principles to your children or your grandchildren. You can give them words to explain their own lessons so that as they learn them, they can see the inspiration of God's miracles and learn to avoid the common mistakes and then teach them to their children and grandchildren who can then turn, see the inspiration of God's miracles. You see that pattern instead and how much more healthy that is. I don't know about you, but I need sometimes people to share, like put words to what my experience is. Listen to me. Listen to me. Your kids are experiencing a world that we can barely fathom and barely keep up with. And if you can't speak the spiritual things and the truths and the laws and the way that God is moving in this, you're going to lose them. You have to get serious and roll up your sleeves and say, I'm going to teach them how God is moving. And when God is moving, I'm going to make sure they don't miss it. And I'm going to keep remembering and retelling and reminding them over and over that God has showed up in their life. So when they are out there and wondering, we're in a desert Who's going to show up to feed us? Oh, I know who it is. The same God who got us out of Egypt with that thing in our pocket that we did not own, but now we do. And the Red Sea that has now taken away every enemy that we had and now given us a promised land that we are moving toward. That's the God who is going to show up and who is going to provide for me today and then tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the day after that until... He ultimately provides the path for me to be called home, to live in his presence forever and leave this world behind and all of the pain and the sorrow and all those things. And until that day, God is going to keep showing up. You know how I know? Because I'm 51 years old. And as David says, I once was young and now I'm old and I've never seen God fail his people. Never seen it. And he has never failed me. I've failed him so often, but he has never failed me. These are our reasons to remember. The same apply by that I had yesterday, or pardon me, last week is the same one I got today. Rely on God, remember what he has done, and retell it to those who will listen. And tell it even if they won't. You never know who is actually going to listen. So make this your consistent pattern of life. Rely on God. Remember what he has done. And then turn around and retell how he has been faithful. Let's go to our last couple of slides very quickly as we end. Do any of you guys recognize this? Do any of you all know what this is? This is, I, I, yeah, I knew a couple of you would. This is the group that showed up to work as the shelter in Hurricane Harvey five years ago this August. This is the group of people that showed up to help those who were having difficult times and lost their homes and various things like that, lost the, the safety of their home. We had over 225 people here in this place where you're sitting. We had this place full. I slept right there right there with nothing, not a, not a blanket, not a pillow. I just crawled over there and slept for about four hours because I was dead tired. Uh, everybody in the gym, we had tons of people in the gym, tons of people in here. We had 63 dogs, uh, a couple of cats and a bird as well. I mean, we had this whole place packed out like it was Noah's Ark and the rain wouldn't stop either here, right? This is Hurricane Harvey and the group that was here. And if you 
We're here, you know that God showed up. Now, in this group of people that actually was not in this group, they were actually out in the gym. Um, I can remember where they were. They were actually in the center part of the gym. And I remember them. It was a family. It was a mom and a couple of young people and an older mom. Uh, And so this mom, who was about maybe five years younger than me, and her mom, who was living with her, and then her two teenage sons. You wouldn't know them. They've never been back. I gave them money from the church. We tried to give people money. We had tons of finances that came in. We gave them money to, the, to their house to be replaced, all the things that they had and problems that they dealt with. We went over. We put in a whole day's worth of work and then went back the next day and put in a half a day's work. And I knew that God was working in their life in powerful ways. And the young man came to me and he said, thank you guys so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And I was a pastor and I was trying my very best to reach out to him and connect him, not to us, but to God. And I said, young man, I don't know if you know it, but God is doing something in your life. He's showing you something. I hope you're watching and I hope you're remembering what God is doing. That when you guys had nowhere to go, God brought you to our church And there were people all over this country that sent us money so that we could give to people that were here in our church. We gave thousands of dollars to you and to your mom so y'all could have your house back. I hope you realize that God is reaching out and hope you're paying attention and you're seeing that he's working. And he told me, he said, I will never forget this. God is working in my life and I will never forget this. I've never seen them. I've never heard from them again. I share that as a warning. Because just like the Israelites that saw something miraculous happen in their life, I'm sure there were people that said, I will never forget how God did this for me. But you have before, haven't you? You know how I know? Because I have to. I'll never forget that God did this for me. And then I walk away and I forget. It's a warning that we don't forget that those things that God has shown us are a way for us to avoid that same treadmill. Don't forget what God has done. Rely, remember, and retell what God has done so that you always have the faith that grows towards the Lord and deepening towards what he wants you to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we end our time together around your word, may we be faithful to remember what you have done, to rely upon you each day, and then to retell for those who are watching what you have done for us. And may you, God, receive all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone together said, amen.